This podcast is brought to you by Bethany Trinity Presbyterian Church. Thanks for listening. A very good morning to everyone. It's always a joy and privilege to gather with God's people, opening up God's Word, because God's Word that goes forth never returns empty. But let's begin by asking God to help us as we step into this chapter of Isaiah. Would you pray with me? Oh, Heavenly Father, you who knew what happened the past week and you who knows what will happen in the week to come. Father, you know what we have all been through in the past week and where we have been before we arrived here. Father, we pray, God, that your Holy Spirit will now quieten our hearts and clear our minds so that we can engage with your Word. Pray, God, that your Word will speak forth uh, truth to us that we can hear and accept and that you will strengthen our will, that we can um, be strengthened to respond rightly to you. Pray all this for your glory. Amen. Now, all of us have experienced some sort of waiting in our lives. Are there slides there for today? Yeah, some wait. Um, there you go. Waiting is great. Now, sometimes you could be waiting for your grab this morning if it was raining, or waiting for a reply for a job interview, waiting for results from school or your medicals, for a purchase that is supposed to deliver by GrabFood, by Ninja Van, perhaps by some private delivery company. All of us experience some sort of waiting. Now, some hopeful waiting ends with joy. The slide comes out other times in great disappointments. Now, Isaiah 30 begins with an account of a hope that initially ends with great disappointment. It's like a buyer who paid up $200 to a seller who promised to deliver over the next four hours a new iPhone X unopened. You can't meet him because his shop is in Terminal 3 inside but he'll deliver for to you in four hours' time. But after four or fourteen hours, you start to realize it was a misplaced hope that would never be fulfilled. Even though you paid the two hundred dollar he requested, it was just a scam, a wishful hope that would never be delivered in the first place. Now, as we come to Isaiah thirteen and it begins, the people of Judah, they were in a crisis. They had previously been put under the chains of the Assyrian Empire by their own king Ahaz, and now, in time of King Hezekiah and his people, they want to unshackle themselves from Assyria, and so they turned to Egypt, the political power of the south, for help. They had great hope that Egypt will come and will rescue them, but it was a terrible terrible mistake. And so verse 1, with God saying this, Woe to my obstinate children, declares the Lord. To those who cry out plans, who carry out plans, they are not mine, forming an alliance, but not by my spirit, heaping sin upon sin. You know, as God looks at Judah's secret plans to form alliance with Egypt, God calls them, you obstinate children that you are heaping sins upon yourselves sin because they have not consulted God 
and sin because they have turned to Egypt, which was a total betrayal of God. It was a shameful move for them because God himself had rescued them from Egypt long ago in the days of Exodus. Now, repeatedly in the times of Moses, God told Moses to declare to Pharaoh again and again, let my people go, let my people go, let my son go, so that they may come and worship me. With ten mighty plagues, with the pillar of clouds and the pillar of fire, with the parting of the Red Sea, God dragged his people out from the slavery of Egypt into this very promised land. And now, these people are looking back to their slave master for rescue. Instead of turning to God, they want to crawl back to Egypt for help. And so God declares here, because Judah had turned back to Egypt instead of him, they will find only disappointment. Pharaoh's protection, Egypt's shelter, will only be shame will only be disgrace for them. Egypt will not be able to save Judah from a serious empire. In fact, if you have your Bible still open, look at the sad description of their hope in Egypt that will end with shame and disgrace. Look at verse 6 and 7. This is what happens. Judah placed great hope in this alliance. They send their animals, they load up treasures on their animals on this long dangerous journey from the Negev desert back to Egypt. You know, in the past, God had caused Egypt to be so frightened of Israel that the people, the Egyptians took out their gold and silver and they gave it to the Israelite God's people so that they can leave Egypt. Now, the people, without God's consultation, they took out their gold and silver and put it on their animal to send it back to Egypt unprofitably. Nothing will come out from it. It's like buying a lottery ticket. This man who is desperate, he empties his whole bank account to buy that one lottery ticket, hoping that that windfall would save him for all his troubles, only to see in devastation the day of revelation that that piece of paper is worth nothing. So the same goes for Judah, as she loads up her animals with treasures, sending them to Egypt, hoping for rescue. God says, even if Egypt would send his army, it will be a broken dream. Useless against the Assyrian Empire. So useless Egypt will be to Judah. God calls Egypt Rahab to do nothing because she does nothing and she can do nothing. Now dear friends, as we just pause here for a moment, I want to ask us this question. Have we ever have misplaced hope in our lives? misplaced hopes in our lives. Instead of trusting in God with this one life that we have, we're tempted to place our hope in the promises offered by wealth, by property, by power, by relationships. Now yes, we may verbally claim that we trust in God, but do we also have secret plans? Secret plans to trust wealth, investment, power, food, entertainment, human relationships to satisfy us, to fulfill us, to secure us, to complete us, to give tangible meaning and purpose to our lives. 
Now, some mistakes hope may just cause us disappointments. Perhaps the scammer that took $200 of yours for the iPhone that never arrived could just be a bit of pain in your pocket. But some misplaced hope will cost us our soul. Some misplaced hopes may cost us more than the disappointments when we turn away from God in order to give ourselves to the world in exchange for its goods. Charles Stanley, a famous Christian, once said this. He said, Hope founded upon a human being, a man-made philosophy, or any institution is always misplaced because these things are unreliable and fleeting. No, instead of trusting in God who saved them from slavery and had given them the promised land, the people of Judah turned to Egypt, their old slave master, Egypt to be their protector, to be their comforter, to be their saviour. But Egypt will sit still. Egypt will do nothing to keep her promise. And this offence by Judah, God said, I want it recorded down. So if you look at verse 8, God calls Isaiah to record this on his iPad Pro or his version of tablet and then upload on the cloud to be witnessed forever. Look at verse 8. Go now, Write it on a tablet for them. Inscribe it on a scroll that for the days to come it may be an everlasting witness. I want this recorded down, God says. Because witnessing is a big deal in the Bible. If you're someone who reads the Bible, you don't first look for signs, you first look for witnessing and history. Because history records here, again and again with witness, how God has been faithful to humanity and like here, Isaiah 30, how humans have been faithless towards God. The root of Judah's problem is not that God cannot help. Judah's problem is the unwillingness to listen to God. Look at verse 9. For these are rebellious people, deceitful children, children unwilling to listen to the Lord's instruction. They say to see us, see, no more visions, and the prophets give us no more vision of what is right. Tell, tell us pleasant things. Prophesy illusions. You know what's happening? They want to hear what their itching ears want to hear. Rather than words that bring rescue, they want the prophets of God to stop confronting them with what is right. They want the prophets to speak only Pleasant stuff. You know, like children who only want to hear, yes, every time they ask for sugary drinks, their candies, their junk food, their computer games, they never want to hear their need for vegetables, clean food, or responsibilities. Dear friends, there are times, perhaps, or should we ask, are there times when we behave like Judah towards God's words, when we only want to hear pleasant things. Are there times like that? Perhaps life is tough. No, life is so tough, there is no harm listening to some prosperity gospel. It does help. Or how can a relationship that feels so good be so wrong? Surely God understands. No, God is a God of love. So some parts of the Bible must be wrong. Do we want to hear only 
what God uh, is pleasant, when God is pleasant towards us, that aligns with ours or the, the modern worldviews. Now, are we tempted to shut our ears to the warnings of judgment when we sin against God? When we want to redefine moral instructions? When we pursue functional gods to replace the God our mouth says we believe? And in our world that's increasingly wanting Christians to privatize our faith, or to amend it to be less offensive, will God's people end up echoing the same thoughts of these rebellious children? Look at verse 10. Give us no more vision of what is right. Tell us pleasant things. Prophesy illusion. Or verse 11. Live this way. Get off this path. Stop confronting us with God. May the Lord have mercy on us, you and me, and our churches that we will not demand only pleasant things to listen to, that we will not be um, people who will shut our ears from what is right. Because isn't that what the Old and New Testament says in Proverbs 3.12 or Hebrews 12.6, that the Lord disciplines those He loves. May we never want to shut our ears from the discipline and warnings from God, because those are given to the people that God loves. Now friends, the day we tell ourselves, I only want to hear good things, but not the whole counsel of God, is the day we step into Isaiah 30 verse 1 to 17's path. The day when we want to make our Bible thinner, not by font size, but by content, is the day that we will step into Isaiah 30 verse 1 to 17. Because the root of Judah's problem was an unwillingness to listen to God. And so God declares in verse 12, He says this, because they have rejected this message, this sin of rebellion will bring judgment upon them. Like a wall collapsing under its own weight, like a pot being smashed and be destroyed. And here's the thing, the rescue of God's people never comes from traveling the deserts to Egypt. The rescue of God's people is much nearer. It's right there at the heart. It is found when God's people turns back to God. Look at verse 15. In repentance and rest is your salvation. In quietness and trust is your strength. But you would have none of it. You do not want it. All they need was to recognize in their hearts that they had sinned against God to truly repent of their sins before God, to, as they repent, to rest in God, that is to trust in God for His rescue and His strength. Because strength doesn't come from them, strength doesn't come from Egypt, strength comes from God. If they would turn back to God, God would be that powerful wall of salvation that will save and preserve them. Dear friends, waiting for God Waiting for God always requires faith. Let me say that again. Waiting for God always requires faith. Turning to Egypt always reveals doubt. Let me say that again. Waiting for God always requires faith. But turning to Egypt will reveal doubt. 
what is true for Judah is true for you and for me, for us. Our ultimate rescue in life does not come from running to the Egypts of our world. Our rescue does not come from securing a fat retirement account, paying off our homes, being married either to a fantastic person or a powerful job. Rescue doesn't come when we get approval from culture who says you're good and um, aligning with the ways of the world. But rather our rescue comes from recognizing we have turned from God and now we repent and comes back to God. To ask Him for forgiveness and our strength comes from trusting and resting in God. But today's passage says, Judah refused it. It says, not for us. And so they will face God's discipline. The enemies will be swift. In verse 17 it says this, a thousand of them will flee at the threat of one. At the threat of five, you will flee away. You know, there's a passage in Leviticus that says the opposite. Those who are in God, the enemies will flee at the sight of mere few people of God. But now it turns the other way. That God's people will flee at the mere presence of one or five enemies. Because of the rebellion, Judah will face the consequence of the decision and their enemies will cause them great pain. Now, dear friends, Isaiah 30 should have just ended here, at verse 17. It should have ended the story of Judah, it should have ended the story of all humanities, because we're all just like Judah. But the story didn't end this way. The story does not end at Judah waiting for a hopeless rescue from Egypt. The story for us doesn't end with our hopeless waiting for this world to save us. For verse 18 comes in and reveals a very startling character of God. Because behind the curtain of our stubbornness stood a God who patiently waits for His people to turn back in repentance. That powerful God's character is what we understand as grace. If you hear that often enough. What should have been a total destruction of us was intercepted and interrupted by God who comes waiting for us with great patience and compassion that we will turn back to Him and that He will come right to save us. Would you look at verse 18 with me? Yet the Lord longs to be gracious to you. Therefore He will rise up to show you compassion for the Lord is the God of justice. Blessed are all who wait for him. Now God did allow the enemies to cause great pain on the people for their rebellion. But God never allows the enemies to totally destroy them. But they, they were in their desperation turn back and see God looking at their back waiting for them to turn. To turn and cry out for help. God is waiting and waiting to bring His rescue to His people because they have stubbornly refused to turn back to Him. Now the question is this, why didn't God come and rescue them earlier? Why did they have to go through this? The reason is this, because if God has come and rescued them earlier, they would pat their back and say, good job, great strategy. If God had come and saved them earlier, they would look to Egypt and say, thanks, and thanks be to your gods. 
So God does not come and save when they turn their back against Him. But God was waiting. The moment they turn back to Him, that God comes to save them. The problem they are meant to recognize was never in Assyria or in the future Babylon or anything. Their problem and our problem is that we have turned away from God. And the solution is to turn back to God. And so listen to the amazing words of verse 19. God says, Isaiah writes this, How gracious He will be when you cry out for help. As soon as He hears you, He will answer you. As soon as He hears you, He will answer you. Now this is like the story of the prodigal son, that the father was sitting there waiting and waiting for the son who had turned away from the father and to enjoy this life that was given to him in trash. But when the son is in desperation and looks back, he saw that his dad was looking at his back all this time, waiting for him to just turn back. And the dad will run to him, embrace him, and bring this prodigal son home. In the protection of the father, in the wealth and the love of his home. Now dear friends, great mercy and grace of God revealed to Judah in the days of the Assyrian war, has been shown to us all this time in our history. It is a wonder God has not destroyed humanity in the days of Adam and Eve, in the days of Noah, in the days of Sodom and Gomorrah, in the days of the Lord Jesus Christ Himself. That the grace and the patience of God has always been there. You know, even in the days of Jesus, when God sent Jesus to the world, His Son to save the world, the world said, No thanks! I want to read to you what Jesus says just before he was put on the cross. This is what Jesus says as he looks at the Jerusalem that he loves and God loves. He said this. Let me read to you from Matthew 23, 37. It's also in Luke 13, but let me read from Matthew. Jesus cried out not not long before his death. He says this, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who killed the prophets and stoned those sent to you. How often I have longed to gather your children together as a hand gathers her cheek under her wings. And you were not willing. Look, your house is left to you desolate. For I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Now so much suffering and pain is the result of our world turning away from God. Now right up to the New Testament, God sent His own Son and longs to get His people under His wing to care for, to protect, to love. But we are so unwilling and so we bear the consequence of our sins again and again. But even then, even then, God pours out His grace. Look at what Jesus says in verse 39. Jesus says, People will continue to bear the consequences of their sins, but it will end when they and we finally recognize Jesus to be from God. When we finally recognize Jesus is the blessed one who comes in the name of the Lord to save us, to save us from sin, to rescue us from death. No wonder Jesus always says, Let those who have ears to hear let them hear. 
but in quietness and trust, we will find our rescue in God through Jesus. So even in Isaiah 30, we hear this amazing grace and patience of God. Will you look at verse 18 and ver- to verse 21 with me? The Lord, the Lord longs to be gracious to you. Therefore, He will rise up to show you compassion. For the Lord is the God of justice. Blessed are all who wait for Him. And, and move on to verse 20. Although the Lord gives you the bread of adversity and the water of afflictions, your teachers, or singular, your teacher, will be hidden no more. With your own eyes, you will see the teacher. Whether you turn to the right or to the left, your ears will hear a voice behind you saying, This is the way, walk in it. No difference if we will repent and turn back to God. He will be ever so willing to show us grace and mercy and save us from sin and eventual death. The question is, will we acknowledge that we need God and His Son to take our sins upon the cross and to offer us His own life? Will we acknowledge that Jesus is the only way? There are no others. There are no Egypts. We cannot save ourselves by our own cleverness in this life or by the Egypts of our world. We can never find lasting satisfaction or eternal hope in wealth or power or human relationships. Now, this is one of the things that there's a period of time I always hear um, taxi drivers who share and lament. They say that it's better to die than to be sick because it's too expensive. I don't know about those of you who buy insurance. Maybe many people do buy insurance. But if you are someone who buy insurance, have you never noticed there's never an insurance called death insurance? You always buy something called life insurance. What it means is you die, some money is given to your family to make things better. But nothing is offered to you if you die. There's nothing for the date. Because the world has nothing to offer the date. And we are all dying. What has got the world to offer to us? And for those of us who have already believed in Jesus, those of us who have not, perhaps it's time to think, for those of us who have, I want to add on that this passage tells us we have a God who disciplines us, but never forsakes us. So many times God should have several ties with you. And me. So many times where we have looked back to sin or Egypt, in fact put our hands in to taste it. How many times God should have kicked us out from what we should never have deserved. But God does not. And that's why you and I, we are still here, listening to instruction week after week to repent and return, repent and return, repent and return. Now there are no other gods, dear friends, that are like our God. That when He saves us, that He will discipline those He loves, but He will not leave us. Verse 21, look at it. Whether you turn to the right or to the left, your ears will hear a voice behind you saying, This is the way. Walk in it. Now dear friends, this is our God. This is our God, brothers and sisters. Do we hear His voice? Do you hear His voice? The voice of the teacher, the voice of God who continues to guide you when you are tempted to move away. 
that he comes back and say, not left, not right, this is the way. Andrew, come back, this is the way. Whether we are tempted to fly to the promises of the world like a moth flying to the fires, we have a God who calls us. Whether it's times when you, in your workplace, find an ungodly relationship too tempting, or a morally wrong decision too rewarding, that God says again, not this way, not that way, this way. Look to the cross, look to Jesus. What has Jesus got to offer you that the world can offer you better? There is nothing. When the world, the good things in our life, calls us to make them the God things, God says, not that way, this way. Look to the God, not to the good things. No, dear friends, here's the thing, our hearts are ever deceitful. Not sure about yours, mine is. We're prone to wonder from the most important thing to what is visually attractive. Just, just think for a moment in our day-to-day life, your Netflix, your, your Instagram, your Facebook post that, that draws you away. You say, this is an important task to do and five hours later, I've not done anything because of the Netflix series or whatever you're watching or the Instagram that your battery ran out and you realize you have spent too much time. The same goes in our, in our lives that the God that we are meant to worship, the world gives the advertisement and we go and look at them. But the voice says, not this way, not that way, this way, come back. This is our God. Friends, God is no longer silent. No, in Jesus, by the Holy Spirit, He gave us His voice that comes to us again and again. No, dear brothers and sisters, do we hear that voice? The voice that calls us to say to God, Father, forgive us. In Jesus, there's no other God but you. That voice that calls us to turn back to Him. On those days, we will do what God's people say. God says His people do. Look at verse 22. On those days, God's people will say this. 22. Then you will desecrate your idols overlay with silver and your image covered with gold. You will throw them away like menstrual cloth and say to them, Away with you. You know, living in the Christian, a Christian life is always about turning back to God. In repentance and rest, in quietness, in trust. For God is our salvation and our strength. You know, living a Christian life is once again rejecting the idols. Saying, away with you and say, only you, God. As God patiently and mercifully draw His people back to Himself, He will again extend His grace and His mercy to His people. Now we'll see God's rescue of Judah in live action by the time we reach Isaiah 36 37. Let me just put it this way there are not many passages in the Bible that repeat so many times. Isaiah 36 37 is repeated in 2 Chronicles 32, again in 2 Kings 18. The grace of God. We will get to see how God personally removed the shame of Judah. And bless them. But for now, today, look at verse 23 to 26, where he writes that in that day, what's going to happen in that day? In that day, animals, they will not be loading their own treasures away and give it to Egypt. On that day, the animals will feast and enjoy abundance provided for them. And God will send rain for the seed that His people sow. In that day, they will experience God's deliverance once more. Those who see darkness, look at what happens in verse 26. 
the moon will shine like the sun. The sunlight will be seven times brighter than the light of seven full days. That is the brightness given to those living in darkness but repent of their sins. In fact, it goes on, the Lord, He will bind up the bruises of His people. He will heal the wounds He inflicted. Verse 29, you, you will sing. And on the night you celebrate holy festival, your hearts will rejoice as when people playing pipes going up to the mountain of the Lord, to the rock of Israel. That is what is given to the Lord's people, but to God's enemies, the Assyrians. Look at verse 31. The voice, the voice of the Lord will shatter Assyria. With his rod, he will strike them down in 33. And Topaz, where is Topaz? Topaz is a valley near Jerusalem where terrible sacrifices of children were made to false gods like Molech. In fact, in 2 Kings, Ahaz, King Ahaz, also sacrificed his son. But this time around, God says, Topaz has long been prepared, has been made ready for the detestable Assyrian king. It's fire pit that has been made deep and wide with abundance of fire and wood and the breath of the Lord like a stream of burning sulfur that sets it ablaze. You remember the story of Sodom and Gomorrah that God was patient and patient but when the people of His are being rescued, the fire of God comes in and burns up all that were the enemies of God. God waits patiently and patiently for His people so that He can rescue them. On that day, their eyes will be opened to see the love and the mercy and grace and compassion of God and they see the wrath of God on injustice on the world. Now, dear friends, God who has patiently waited for Judah continues to be patiently waiting for you and for me and for us and for our world. To turn back to Him, turn back from chasing the promises of the world, turn back from having alliances with whatever Egypts there are in our lives. God does not save us when our hearts are turned away. At least we think we can save ourselves, but He is all ready to save us, forgive us when we turn back to Him. Now this week, while I was reading the Psalter this week, I was struck by the description of God in Psalm 65, that King David wrote, which King Hezekiah would have to emulate in a few chapters' time. Let me read this revelation of God's character for us as a conclusion. In fact, you have read it just now. Psalm 65, let me just read verse 2 and verse 3. David says this, You who answer prayer, you all people will come. When we are overwhelmed by sins, you forgive our transgressions. When we are overwhelmed by sins, you forgive our sins. You know, dear friends, it's a scam if the world advertises fulfillment in exchange for our souls. It's a scam. After we have given all our treasures, even our very lives to this world, let me tell you what, the world will not turn up at your deathbed. It will not be there to offer comfort or rescue. Or even if it tries, 
it can never walk the journey of death with you. But God does. When we're overwhelmed by sins and cry out to Him, King David says in Psalm 65, God is willing to forgive your sins. Isaiah 30 tells us, God will graciously bind up our wounds and heal us. King Jesus says in John 11, The one who believes in me, you will live even when you die. Jesus says so because he took the very journey of death for us. You know that, that criminal that was hung on the cross, when Jesus says to him, Today you'll be with me in paradise, Jesus wasn't sitting in the aircon of heaven saying that. Jesus was hung next to him, would die before him, and walk that journey so that when he walks it, he will not be alone. That is our God, friends. Verse 18, The Lord longs to be gracious, says Isaiah. Verse 19, As long as he hears you cry, he will answer you. Now, dear friends, we have a patient God, a gracious God still waiting patiently for us. That if we sin against Him, that we will repent and come back to Him. A gracious God who has walked that journey of death so that when we walk that, we see Jesus. The world will not be there for you, for me. Dear friends, the question is this. If we have not trusted in Jesus, will we trust Him today? If we have not trusted in Jesus, will we trust Him today? Or if we have turned away, will we turn back today and hear that voice that says, this is the way. Look to the cross, look to Jesus. And for those of us who are persevering, Will we continue to persevere? And wherever the voice of Egypt comes to us, we will say, get lost. There's no other God. There's only one. Would you pray and ask God to help us? Oh dear Heavenly Father, how patient, how gracious are you to prodigal sons and daughters like us? we who are quick to call you Lord, but also quick to be distracted. We who are slow to repent at times, who are prone to wander, who are weak against the leers of the world. Dear Father, we come to you today, we cry out to you for rescue, and we trust in your voice to lead us eventually into your eternal kingdom and victory. But Father, we know when we repent and turn back, we see that your eyes have been watching us all this while. So forgive us, Father, lead us, help us to finish this journey and to see Christ our King. For your glory we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to this podcast brought to you by Bethany Trinity Presbyterian Church. For more information, visit us online at btcc.sg